0: Welcome to the IMDB Journey Podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and come on over, we got a podcast going on that's a good bit of fun.
1: <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey, and the D is definitely not silent. Dean, how
0: have you been, mate?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. Getting closer and closer to Chrissy, so I just went down with the family to the shops today and did some more Christmas shopping. Got the old Christmas photo taken. Yeah. How have you been?
0: Yeah, about pretty good. About the same. We just started doing uh, Christmas stuff here. We went and picked up our Christmas tree for the year. It's our, our first one that we got that's real. We've had a plastic one for a couple of years now. We figured we'd uh, spruce out a bit and go get a, a nice fresh one.
1: I did notice that delicious pine smell when I walked in today.
0: <laughs> that goes away after about an hour, I'd say. <laughs>
1: So before we get into today's review of Django Unchained, we are going to check on the IMDb Top 250 list and see if there's been any updates in the past week. Daniel, what have you found?
0: Yeah, not too much that has been changed. There's a couple of movies that have gone from one spot up to one spot down. But I did notice two changes here. One was the inclusion of Coco the new Pixar movie. Oh,
1: nice. Yeah, I do want to see that one.
0: It has debuted on the list at number 37. Wow. Yeah, knocking out Dog Day Afternoon down the bottom. But as the case with most of these movies that come out, they start off super strong, but just give it a month or so and we'll see where it really lies. Yeah. We've also seen Dunkirk has dropped down from 100 to 121, so that's a couple of spots. Mm, It's a decent drop. Yep, and that's about it for that update.
1: Okay, so without further ado, let's get into this week's review of Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. Good cold evening, gentlemen. Amongst your inventory I've been led to believe is a specimen I'm keen to acquire. When I hear the trumpet sound What's your name?
0: I'm on a ride right out of the ground. Django.
1: Then you're exactly the one I'm looking for.
0: Hey. Stop talking to him. Calm down. I'm simply a customer trying to conduct a transaction. Last chance, fancy pants. Oh, very well. Django Unchained, released in 2012, starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson, directed by Quentin Tarantino. The budget for this movie was about $100 million, and is actually Quentin Tarantino's most expensive film to date, and ended with a total worldwide gross of just over $425 million. Wow, very successful. Yep, still uh, holds up to some of the movies that get released these days as well.
1: As well as it being his most expensive film, it's also his highest grossing film ever.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes sense with the money he put into it. Hmm. It's also won two Academy Awards. It won Best Original Screenplay. I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, considering it's Tarantino, he's the master of screenplays. It's fair game for any of the movies he's written, I think. That's true. And at one hour, six minutes and 17 seconds, Christoph Waltz's performance in this movie is the longest ever to win the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Also, at an 8.4 rating with just over a million ratings on IMDb, it's currently sitting at number 60 in the top 250 list. So, pretty high up. Very high. Yeah. So, Dean, tell us about your history with this movie.
1: Okay, so I saw this movie at the cinemas when it first came out with my now wife, Brittany. I don't really remember the experience, to be honest. And I think I've seen it maybe twice since then leading up to this review. So it's not definitely one of my least watched Tarantino films. So I was excited to re-watch it again leading up to this. What's your history with it?
0: Yeah, I'm about the same. I saw it when it first came out. I actually watched it early one morning by myself and thought it was that Lame. good. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I thought it was very good at that point. And then I watched it again later that night with my wife, Kira. And thought, in the same day? In the same day. I watched it two times in the same day. Wow. thought it was fantastic both times and have not gone and revisited again since. So Really? To, this viewing for this podcast is the third time I've watched it overall. And we'll find out what I think of it now a couple of years later so with that being said let's get into the breakdown of Django. And they got my wife and they sold him but I don't know who to. That means we visit every plantation until we find him. Once the final brutal brother lies dead in the dust I agree to give you your freedom and I'll take you to rescue your wife. Where are we going? Open up on this first shot of these old western planes... and then all of a sudden you get that Django, 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 Django. That amazing song. Let's—I just wanted to talk about the soundtrack first of all. Like with most Quentin Tarantino films, the soundtracks are unbelievable. I like—I I think I love every single soundtrack that he's ever done for any of his movies.
1: I actually bought the Pulp Fiction soundtrack on CD. Uh, back in the day. The, I, I love that soundtrack. The Pulp so Fiction
0: soundtrack it. is one of my like, top five favourite soundtrack albums. Soundtracks,
1: yeah. Not yeah. not really a big big statement, though.
0: No, of course not. Yeah, I, I'm think, not I remember not really I could, raising any eyebrows here.
1: I bought the uh, Phantom Menace soundtrack when I was a kid, and it was just orchestra the whole way through. <laughs> I was
0: very disappointed, much sure what I was expecting. Well, I'm sort of similar with the James Bond soundtracks. Like, There's a lot of songs from James Bond that I yeah. love, and it's mostly just... The orchestras the yeah and, 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 you it's not track one yeah, of every James yeah. Bond movie <laughs> <laughs> so as the credits are coming up as we see all these slaves getting walked across the, the hills and that I notice there's a credit for and Samuel L. Jackson is that in his contract now that he has to have and Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> in every movie he's in
1: He's that big. He's now transcended the standard plebs <laughs> <Yeah>. credit scenes.
0: <laughs> also, one thing I did notice there was the executive producer. Do you even know? Did you see who that executive producer was? I mean, it's
1: got to be the one and only Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> oh, oh one. Yeah, that was a bit awkward when <laughs> I saw that. I, was like, oh, I, thought, I thought
0: they might have scrubbed that name for the, the, the Blu-ray that I had. <laughs> turns out they couldn't do that.
1: Okay, so first scene of the movie, really, we get Dr. Schultz stopping the Speck brothers saying he's looking for someone named Django. Now, you'll notice here that Christoph Waltz, who plays Dr. Schultz, is using a wagon because he actually broke his pelvis before shooting started. Hmm. Now, I actually like the wagon. I think it really sets Schultz apart from everyone else and adds a bit of a touch of class to him. More of a dignified, wise man,
0: especially with that wobbly tooth he's got on the top there.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a bit comical.
0: (laughs) Well, he is a dentist. Well, (laughs) you know what else is comical? He introduces his horse Fritz, and the horse bows. Did you see that?
1: Uh, No, I didn't notice that. (laughs)
0: He goes, "This is my horse Fritz," and it goes, and it bows. (laughs) Uh, I had a laugh at that. That was good.
1: So Waltz initially actually rejected this role, but eventually agreed to take it on after being reassured by Tarantino that the character of Schultz would be a good character and a far cry away from his character of Hans Lander in Inglourious uh, Basterds. Yeah. I imagine he didn't want to get typecast.
0: Fair enough. So Schultz gets down from the wagon, puts up his lantern, starts taking it across all the slaves, and he finally comes up to... <laughs> <laughs> now, do you know who else was considered for the role of Django before Jamie Foxx? No, who was it? Well, there was actually Idris Elba, Chris Tucker. Ooh, Idris,
1: Idris Elba would have been good. Chris Tucker, Chris would, Tucker have been, would have made a different movie.
0: Yeah, uh, probably a worse movie, I'd say. Yeah. Terrence Howard was also thought of. Taris Gibson. So That would have been another interesting choice. Uh, Will Smith was actually the biggest consideration there. Actually, Quentin Tarantino wrote the role of Django for Will Smith in mind. Mm. Uh, but in the end, Will Smith declined because he thought that there wasn't enough of a role for him. Wow. Yeah. I'm
1: really glad that Will Smith did decline because I feel like it, it, he it could have been, overpowered the movie. Yeah, bit. it would have been weird. With his, Will Smithers, with his Will Smith matterisms.
0: Yes. Cuba Gooding Jr. also lobbied for the role of Django, but Tarantino uh, didn't consider him at all. According to Cuba Gooding Jr., it was his biggest disappointment. <laughs> also, <laughs> right. Denzel Washington was considered, but uh, he was too old, apparently. But in the end, they did offer it to Jamie Foxx, who accepted, obviously.
1: Yeah, good thing he did. So, Schultz ends up shooting Ace, one of the Speck brothers, and then Dickie's horse breaking Dickie's leg. So, it's here, it's very clear that Schultz has no reservations about killing Ace once threatened. Makes it very clear to Dickie that he has witnesses. And you can tell really early on, we really get the impression that he is a lawful man. The terms he is using are all sort of things you would imagine hearing in a courtroom.
0: Yeah. You can also see how much of a good lawful man Schultz is as well by the fact that he still wants to pay for Django and even buys the horse off, off uh, Dicky. Off Dicky, yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly, because Dicky's actually wounded, trapped by his horse at this point. It would be very easy for either Schultz to just kill him himself and steal from him, yeah. or just walk away. There's nothing Dicky could do in that Schultz point.
0: knows that this guy's going to die in a couple of minutes, yet he yeah. still pays for everything. He wants the transaction completed. He gets a receipt for it. He yeah, gets his exactly. bill of sale. Yeah, exactly. So Schultz frees the other slaves, gives them the option to either help out Dicky and take him to the nearest town, which will ultimately ultimately end in their death I guess or they can kill Dickie, bury him in a grave and head on out by themselves as free men mm. and obviously they choose to kill him and you see the you see them shoot Dickie and this humongous blood squib just flies up in the air <laughs> like clearly unrealistic this is for comedic purposes They're, you're supposed to really think of the violence in this movie as funny, this isn't super serious violence there's no like, when you hear that big squib fly up in the air, you laugh I laugh because it's so outrageous. That would never happen in real life.
1: No, but I think Tarantino does love ultraviolence.
0: But this is stupid ultraviolence. Well, maybe
1: maybe it's because the subject matter that is actually being filmed and talked about is so serious they needed to balance it out a bit.
0: Good, good point, good point.
1: So then we get Django and Schultz riding into the, a town called Daughtry. Um, you really get a taste of the town and the times when a man stops mid-sentence to comment on the fact that there's a black man actually on a horse.
0: Yeah, lots of use of the N-word here. I know uh, Tarantino does use it in a lot of his films, and he has had some scrutiny over that. He's also had Samuel L. Jackson defend him for using the N-word, in saying that you know it's appropriate in, in some of his movies. This movie itself actually holds the all-time record for the uses of this word. Do you know how many times it's been used in this movie? How many? 116 times. This yeah, that's a lot, is. isn't it? Yeah, it is.
1: So they end up going into the local saloon and the barman runs out screaming at the sight of a black man in his bar. And Django sits down, tries his beer and pauses and really looks at it appreciatively. You sort of wonder how long it's been since he's had a beer, maybe even ever.
0: I don't think he would have ever had a beer. Yeah. Yeah. So Schultz sits down with Django and basically sums up that he's going to offer him his freedom. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. However, at this endeavour, I'm I'm at a slight disadvantage. Insofar as I don't know what they look like. But you do,
1: don't you? I know what they look like, alright.
0: Good. So here's my agreement. You travel with me until we find them. Where are we going? Oh, I hear at least two of them are overseeing up in Gatlinburg, but I don't know where. That means we visit every plantation in Gatlinburg till we find them. And where we find them, you point them out, and I kill them. You do that, I agree to give you your freedom, $25 per brother. $75. So the sheriff comes riding up, Schultz comes out and without hesitation just pulls it, like pulls out his hidden gun, which will come back later mm, on in the movie. Yep. Shoots him in the chest and walks right up and point blank shoots him in the head. And the town goes crazy. And yep. he, te- he tells the bartender, Make sure you get the marshal this time, not the sheriff. And he does it in that Schultz manner as well. That
1: overconfidence. Yes.
0: So he goes and sits back down with Django, waits for the marshal to show up. Uh, not only does the Marshal show up, but the entire army of, of uh, sheriffs come down.
1: I was really surprised when they were outside that none of the town people actually tried to shoot Schultz at this point. Surely these locals are carrying weapons in this day and age.
0: Well, maybe they're thinking this guy is so brazen and so deadly to just openly shoot the sheriff mm. in the head How in the middle of the town. Around? What else has he got planned? Yeah. And maybe Django's there ready to go. They don't know that.
1: Hmm. So Schultz does end up talking to the marshal, and the marshal obviously comes up, guns are blazing, ready to shoot this guy. But Schultz manages to talk himself out of this situation very convincingly and turn the tables on to the marshal. Schultz is confident and knows his rights.
0: Yeah, Christoph Waltz is fantastic in this scene. He plays it perfectly, and when it's all done, you see Django giving that look like, and he goes, Damn. "Who is this guy?" And he goes, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we hear that Django wants to find his wife by her freedom. That's basically the goal of Django. Yep. And this is basically the goal of Django throughout the entire film.
1: Yep. It's yep. all about finding his wife and getting her free. And Schultz needs Django's help to do that. And in return, Schultz will help Django with his wife.
0: Yes. This is where we see Django trying on some outfits until he finds out that he can do what, wear whatever the hell he wants. And he rocks up in this pimp-looking blue outfit. Looks crazy good.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell what sort of era this outfit would actually be acceptable in, but I don't think it was this one.
0: I think it's because he's a free man now. He's like, I'm going to wear whatever the hell I want.
1: Yeah, and definitely a lot of comedy here in the reveal of Jamie Foxx's suit, um, and he does lose his afro at this point as well.
0: Yes, That's correct. So they end up arriving at the Bennett Manor looking for the Brittles. This is where we get that second scene of Schultz introducing his horse and the horse bows and everyone gets a little laugh at that in mm-hmm. in the scene. Mm-hmm. So while Schultz is getting taken around by Bennett, Django goes to look for the Brittle Brothers.
1: Yeah, we get the cut scene here of uh, what happened in the past with Django and his wife and we learn that the Brittle Brothers actually whipped his wife. That's right. So it does sort of give django some excuse and positive reasoning for finding these people even though it is for schultz for finding them for his own personal gain
0: he doesn't actually reveal to schultz why he knows them, does he no no and he helps us understand why he's why he's after the brittle brothers why he knows them if we, we didn't know anything about this until this scene if this didn't come up and then he kills him we would be like okay so why
1: I also think it establishes that um, Django is one of the good guys of the story. Yeah. If we didn't know that he had a reason to kill these people and he just was killing them because Schultz wanted him to, yeah. we'd certainly look at him differently. But instead, when he kills them, it's heroic, not a violent crime.
0: Yeah, we get the story arc over for the whole movie of Django trying to find his wife. And in this first act here, we get the story arc of Django and why he's after these Brittle Brothers. What, what has happened to him in the past? Up until this point, Django hasn't really had anything to do. He's, we, know it, you know, we know he's Django and he's the title of, title of the film. Django! <laughs> but we don't understand what his purpose is. And this is a good first act story that sets up his history. Yeah, no, exactly. And we get in the flashback. I like the way you bag, boy. <laughs> so Django comes up to Big John, who's whipping a slave. Calls him out.
1: Coincidentally, my dad.
0: Yep. Calls him up, walks straight up, whips out his little uh, hidden gun, shoots him right in the heart and goes, I like the way you die, boy. Good little uh, throwback to what he said to him earlier on in his life. So down goes Big John. Little Raj gets whipped by Django coming up. Little Raj. Yeah, just gets stuck into him. And we see a very up-close shot of Django coming up with the gun and just blowing his head off.
1: Yeah, and we see the reactions of the other black people around him. They all seem very shocked that you know a black man is standing up to a white man. Yeah. It's not exactly like they're cheering and hooting and Haran when... Django does it they're just so shocked to see a black person stand up to someone who's white
0: yeah so Schultz comes running up and uh, wonders what's going on he realises that these two of the Brittle brothers notices that the third one is on the horse riding away and we get this little funny exchange between Django and Schultz where's Alice? he's the one telling it across that field right now you sure that's him?
1: yeah positive? I don't know you don't know if you're positive? I don't know what positive means. It means you're sure? Yes. Yes, what?
0: Yes, I'm sure that's Ellis Brittle.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that little back and forth between them. I think it's trademark Tarantino conversation. Tarantino does not rush dialogue ever. I would say his writing always takes centre stage in all of his movies. One of the few directors, I think, whom you can tell his movies so clearly apart from everyone else's.
0: Yeah, and we get that really good shot of... The blood spraying all over the cotton. I thought that was uh, a really good shot. There they did.
1: Mm, that's fantastic. Iconic.
0: Yeah. Yes. So the regulators come running up to kill Django, but Schultz does his spiel again, like he did with the marshals. Yeah, basically, it's exactly word, the basically same. word for word. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they seem to have a little disdain for them still. Like the marshal seemed okay with what happened, while Bennett and his crew, they seem really pissed off that this has happened. Well, the marshal
1: is a lawman. Yes, that's Bennett true. Bennett and his crew are not law people.
0: Yeah, Bennett, being a severe racist, he seems to be quite upset that a, a black man has got the better of him here, and you can see that that comes up straight away in the next scene when him and his gang try to basically set up a trap and, and shoot them down in their little wagon.
1: Yeah, which I don't really understand here. Why do you think they didn't just kill them on the property?
0: Perhaps because they're both they are both still, but they're both standing there, guns loaded. They basically left after mm. that. Well, probably what still in shock as had? well. What opportunity would they have had to to get them then?
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: So we do get that quick little scene of the dynamite getting stuck in the tooth, like being put in the tooth of the wagon. Instead, they like, see the money get taken out, and the dynamite goes in there, setting up for what's going to happen. You didn't see that? <laughs> no, I don't remember seeing that at all. Nah, quick little scene of a hand reaching in, pulling out the money, and then a stick of dynamite going in the tooth. Okay, so you, it's anticipate what's coming up here, yep. and so you see a couple of white supremacists I guess
1: wannabe KKK
0: I guess the KKK wasn't around at this point no it wasn't yet
1: but again like we've got these people who are realistically KKK and the scene turns into a comedic scene when they're all complaining about the lack of vision in there whose wife made these masks.
0: Well, how can it not be a comedic skit when the mask gets pulled off and it's Jonah Hill? (laughs) Seriously. Like, what is this? Actually, Jonah Hill was supposed to play a bigger role in this film. Mm. He was originally cast to portray a character, Scotty. He was the son of a southern slave buyer who would purchase Brimhilda and he would become uh, his lover. Uh, But but Tarantino cut that entire thing, so that's why you only get a little bit of Jonah Hill in this movie.
1: Because originally, in earlier days, this was actually going to be a two-part movie, more like Kill Bill but it was changed down to one.
0: Yeah, this didn't need to be a two-part film.
1: No, definitely not.
0: (laughs) This didn't need to be... Honestly, this didn't need to be a near three-hour film for me. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. So this scene is just... This has to be Tarantino's funniest scene. Like, This scene is designed to be comedic. This reminds me of a Family Guy skit. Really? Yeah, this little cutaway about how they're talking about these hoods and how they're not fitting or they can't see it. It's got nothing really to do about the story. It's just mm. this little I guess funny
1: story. I guess you could lose this entire scene and the movie would not change exactly. at
0: all. Exactly. And yeah, coming up, there's a lot of scenes that they probably could have cut to make this a shorter film. Yeah. So you can see them all starting to creep in on the wagon, but obviously Schultz and Django have anticipated this and they're hiding up in the tree. They blow the dynamite and they start shooting down all these people on their horses. Django gets the gun And he shoots Bennett, he loves it, and you get that little quote from Schultz. The kids are natural. So it's at this point that Schultz asks Django to partner with him through the winter, and Django agrees. See, this is probably the end of the first act for me, with this whole Brittle Brothers, the Bennetts, and I can't really think of anything that was too wrong with this whole first act. I thought it was great. I I loved the banter between Schultz and Django the whole way through. I liked the setup of the brutal brothers and the resolution for that. The the comedic part, yeah, it could have gone, but overall, I thought this first could have gone.
1: Was, I like the comedic stuff. It
0: could to cut it, it down elevates the movie. To cut it down, we could have we know there is some comedic stuff in it already. We don't need to have a full skit going on. But take it or leave it. I still think this first act was really really solid. Yeah, it's pretty tight in general. But uh, for me personally, I think. Coming into the second act, we start to drag a little bit. Yeah, Yeah,
1: this upcoming montage of Schultz training Django to be a bounty hunter with him, it goes on too long. We see far too many examples of Django learning. And I was definitely looking at the clock at this point.
0: Yeah, this whole thing could have got cut. You really could have just gone to the Schmidty Bakal scene and his son. Yep. Like, yeah, he learns a valuable lesson that this person has done something wrong. He's got the warrant out for him. He kills him. Obviously, the son is distraught, but that never really comes back. The Smitty Bacall thing comes back with the the three it Aussies does. later on. Yeah, yeah. but to, for me personally, that whole that whole three Aussies thing later on that could have been cut too. So you could have cut this. These these things. How dare you? No, don't get me started. How dare you?
1: <laughs> as a, as what a, would a Tarantino movie be without a Tarantino cameo?
0: We'll get to that later. But I think <laughs> that I think that this scene could have been cut, which would then be able to cut that other scene.
1: Yeah, and when when they are shooting Smitty Bacol, Django does show reservations here about killing. He does do it anyway, but it does contrast against Schultz's complete lack of sympathy for the people who he's collecting bounties on. And you can see here that Django has gotten much better at shooting and has become a quality bounty hunter.
0: Has he become a better shooter? Because we saw in the the scene before, he takes one shot and and mows down Bennett with one go, and the kids are natural. So all this stuff leading up... <laughs> it's unnecessary yeah, so
1: he makes his perfect shot and then we have a 10 minute montage of him learning to shoot but
0: they show him shooting straight away and he's he's getting it perfect see this whole thing is just an elongated scene to show that Feel yes like. Django is awesome we know that Yeah, we know that he's awesome because he's Django. so Django and Shortz end up arriving at the town of Greenville and we get this old school western text that comes along comes up from the bottom saying that their journey has come to here and you get the greenville that comes along (laughs) the screen like we really need to know exactly where they were they do find it makes any difference exactly (laughs) so they go to the records office and they find out that brimhilda is property of calvin candy and she's staying at the infamous Candyland. and we find out that calvin candy is also into mandingo fighting so schultz asked django to be a black slaver, and a Mandingo fighting expert so they can get the invitation to meet with Candy.
1: I think it's pretty clever how they come up with what they come up with to actually get Brumhilda away from Candy.
0: Yeah, it's not bad. So they do end up heading down to the Cleopatra Club where they do meet Calvin Candy. Now, Quentin Tarantino has said that Calvin Candy is the only character of his that he truly despises. And I can kind of see why this guy is, you know, the worst of the worst with racism and black slavery and that you see he's thoroughly enjoying this Mandingo fight that's going on when they get there. It's so brutal and bone churning and he's mm. just having the time of his life. Like he doesn't care. He doesn't see these people as people. No, no. He just sees them as objects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now in an interview, Quentin Tarantino also said that originally that Mandingo fight scene and the scene with the dogs that's coming up was actually supposed to be longer and way more violent But he did say that he felt like it was going to traumatise the audience too much, so he did cut them both down.
1: If you've got someone like Quentin Tarantino saying that, (laughs) you know it must have been pretty bad. So we do get our intro to Leo here, 64 minutes into the movie. As we've said before, we really feel like the movie's slowing down at this point, and this this intro to Leo is exactly what it needed.
0: Yeah, nice breath of fresh air after the last... Half an hour or so,
1: yeah, yeah, so they walk into the room and see the back of Candy's head watching this you know mandingo fight, and it has a really fast zoom in and stop onto Leo and his face, and you can see the joy he's got in it,
0: yeah, he loves it,
1: hmm. and he tosses a hammer for one of the black people to finish the fight up, and you can really tell that Leo's chewing the scenery here, he hasn't actually played a villain since he was in the much acclaimed man in the iron mask. <laughs> And it's uh, hardly something for Leo to hang his hat on there. So, him coming into this movie playing the villain, I think, was really good for
0: Leo. Yeah. And we also get Candy's right-hand man, Butch here, played by James Ramar, who was also the spec brother at the start who got his head blown off. And there's no yeah, I wasn't, sure. I
1: wasn't sure if I was seeing things there.
0: No, it's, ha- it's happening. Is he the one
1: that died? Or yeah. is Or are they imply Well, they both died.
0: Yeah, he's Let's definitely just use the, first the same one. actor. Yeah, I, I mean
1: Tarantino has done that in a few of his films, but normally it's it's done in a way where the character is drastically different. And I don't mean like personality, I mean dressed wise, wigs, hats, sunnies. You can't really tell unless you know. I know in Kill Bill for example, there are a few actors that played multiple characters, but yeah. this one they look exactly the same.
0: Now there is some theory going around that they are the same person because Butch is wearing his hat and Django goes. Even I know where, even I know to take a hat off inside, like implying that he got shot in the head. So it's like oh, the, the gee, hat, that's subtle. Yeah, if it is. Uh, I don't buy it. I think this is very weird. And there is nothing out there that says why he's no. playing two different characters. No, it's it's confusing.
1: Like I know Tarantino does like using the same people again and again and again, but surely he could have uh, popped up the penny for another actor here. Yeah.
0: So, after some tense questioning, Django tells Calvin that they want to buy a fighter for $12,000. And we get some good back and forth here between Leo and Jamie. And we get. I heard you've been telling everybody that Mandingos ain't no damn good. Ain't nothing nobody is selling is worth buying. I'm curious. What makes you such a Mandingo expert?
1: I'm curious. What makes you so
0: curious? And I love that face from Leo after he says that. That's taken aback like. Jeez, like he's never ha- he's never seen a black person talk to him like that, like stand up to him, and it's taken him aback. It's uh, it's very good facial uh, response there from Leo. It's very good.
1: So after this, all our principal characters go on their trip to Candyland. Uh, on the way, trackers catch a runaway slave named D'Artagnan. Schultz offers to buy D'Artagnan, but Django stops him.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds a little sus where Schultz and, and Django, these two Mandingo fighting... Experts. Experts. They want to try and save this black slave for, at that point, and even still today, a large portion of money. Yeah. So that's why Django's like, what are, what are you doing? Like, You can't control this. Right? Yeah. It's going to look super sus if we keep continue with this. And then you see D'Artagnan get torn apart by the dogs for running away. And you can see the looks on Schultz's face, and it's the same, same looks he had with the Mandingo fight earlier. He's, he, he hates this. He yeah. doesn't like anything like this. He's, yeah. He thinks of blacks in that day as people, like as, as they are now, obviously, and they were back then.
1: Obviously, obviously.
0: Yes. He obviously hates Candy, and this this sets up why he does what he does later on as well.
1: But you can see when when the dogs are tearing this guy apart, you can see Candy and Django almost in a stare-down. Almost like Leo is looking at this guy to make sure he's not flinching almost. Yeah. And Django is just unblinking.
0: But does that ever come back for anything? Because in the end, it's Schultz that kills Candy. There's no real confrontation between Django and Candy throughout this no, whole thing. there's not. The confrontation between Django and Steven.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of yeah. tension between Django and Candy at all.
0: Yeah. I just, I just don't understand why they showed this. Except but they never, for this thing. Never had any resolution to this, this confrontation that they, were, that they were setting up. Yeah. So they do arrive at Candyland and we get some. We get another one of these weird dreams of Hildy in the fields. Just, it doesn't make any sense of this. Like, I don't understand. Like, we
1: already know yeah. that Brumhilde is his wife. He loves her. He's doing all this for her. Do we really need to see a dream sequence but, of her wandering through a field? This is one
0: of my problems with this movie is the relationship between Hildy and Django. You haven't seen them together at this point. They don't get together until way like in the last 10 minutes of the movie they actually do get together Mm. that we see there's no chemistry here between them i don't feel i don't see these people as husband and wife that i don't in the end i don't care about their relationship he's the whole purpose of django is to get his wife back here but you've had no setup of these two throughout the entire film Mm. that when it does happen i don't uh whatever i don't care
1: you're just a cold person
0: (laughs) Well, so get- maybe
1: maybe this is why the dream sequences are here. Maybe Tarantino was sort of saying that there's not a lot of opportunity here to show these characters together. They
0: weren't together. They're, they're, he's just showing he's just showing visions of Hildy
1: in the field. Yeah, but he's emphasizing the the love and passion that Django has for her. They should her. have
0: shown some flashbacks of them two together, what? Em- together in a field. <laughs> sure, embracing, maybe like do, doing something. I just I, I didn't well. buy this relationship entirely. So, this is where we get our first introduction to Stephen, old man Samuel L. Jackson. Man, does he look good in this. And yeah, he, gives, he, he looks gives that, so old. He gives that stare down, that that, that grumpy old man stare down. Yep. It's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Leonardo DiCaprio, halfway through this, like, more than halfway through it now.
1: We're almost an hour and a half into the movie.
0: And these two are... Are really, like, shining the spotlight here. It's still the show. Yeah, I'd say these two and Christoph Waltz. uh No, no, no. Like, Christoph Waltz is to me, Christoph Waltz is the breakout star here. He, he's he is he, the breakout star. He is the he is the one in control here. I feel like Christoph Waltz's character and his portrayal is better than anyone else's here. Better than Leo. Better than Samuel Jackson. Oh no,
1: I, I think that Leo and Samuel Jackson should have got nominated before.
0: So you're saying Leo and Samuel Jackson should have got nominated? even though Christoph Waltz won the Oscar. Well, no, they should
1: have got nominated, obviously, before Christoph Waltz was nominated.
0: Nah, I disagree with that. But who, who, who do you think is better in this movie, Leo or Samuel? Probably
1: Samuel L. Jackson. I think Leo is more showy in his performance. I think it's a fantastic performance. But I think Samuel Jackson actually more gives me the chills.
0: Do you think that Samuel L. Jackson is really playing the character he plays all the time, except he's old now? No. Um, or in a lot of films?
1: No, I don't think that at all. I think he's acting very well. (laughs) Acting. That's what these actors do. As
0: opposed to what? As opposed to
1: Christoph Waltz, who does the same thing, identical character almost, in
0: two movies in a row. Oh, no way. No way. (laughs) Hans and Schultz are completely different.
1: Completely different. They're both, both... Hans is
0: pure evil, and Schultz is the epitome of good here. He is stoic, he is the law. They're
1: both stoic. Hans is the law in some aspect in Inglorious Bastards. In fact, not in some aspect. He is the law in Inglorious yeah, okay. Bastards as well. Okay, fair He's p- that smooth talker, overconfident, hyper intelligent character.
0: But you can't say that they're exactly the same because one is, you know, the epitome of evil and one is doing everything he can to be good. They are very similar. Well, look at that, we're halfway through our second podcast and it's our first genuine argument over something. (laughs) We've pretty much agreed on everything through Die Hard and through Django so far, and yet we find I just can't believe
1: you think that Waltz's performance in this is so good.
0: Well, everyone else did as well, didn't they? Enough to give him an Academy Award.
1: And does that make it true? To me, Yes. To you, yes. So uh, so every year, the best people, the best movies win the awards. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Christoph Waltz's performance is the best in this movie, and the Academy Award has backed that up this time. So they agree with me.
1: All right. So we see here straight away when Stephen walks out, he hates seeing Django on a horse. There is clear jealousy and resentment there. that There is another black man. Who has some sort of social standing there? Because obviously, you see later on, like Stephen, he is a black man, obviously, but he is definitely the leader of them and yeah. has much more social stature in the Candyland house yeah. than anyone else.
0: And that's uh, and that's sort of the the disdain that Django ends up having for him as well. Like he's, you know, you're a black man, but you're basically walking around like a white man.
1: Mm, almost like how Django was talking about how the black slavers are the worst kind of people. Yeah. Worse than the white slavers, yeah, that sort of thing.
0: So we find out that Brimhilda is in the hot box, and so they go in and get her out, and you see like the the teeth grinding of Django, the the especially when they're talking about Brimhilda, when Candy and Stevens, yeah, and he's, he's got his hand on his gun, and he's gonna, yeah. he's, he's like clicking it back, like get get some restraint. Well, okay, what's what are he you gonna, gonna do? do? Yeah. yeah, come all this all this way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Let's start a shootout at yeah, the front right of the house.
0: Yeah, so they get her out and they take her away, and that's where Schultz asks to. For him to see Broomhilda, he likes because because of the the German connection. She speaks German. Yeah, she speaks German. Yeah. He
1: speaks German, much like Hans. <laughs> That's Hans Lander, Just to be
0: clear, <laughs> Broomhilda gets sent up to the room, and you see, is it Lara Lee? Yeah, Lara Lee. Who?
1: There's lots of kissing between Leo and Lara Lee.
0: Well, I don't. I've heard some things about like is this an, an incest sort of thing? But I feel like it's because Candy wants to be kind of treated like a Frenchman. Like they call him Monsieur, Monsieur? and that Monsieur Candy. And I, yeah, exactly. I and mean, he's not French at all.
1: Yeah, because one of the people tell um tell Schultz to call him Monsieur Candy, yeah. and Schultz starts speaking French. He's oh no, he doesn't speak French. Don't do that. You'll embarrass him. <laughs> and I
0: think that this uh <laughs> this kissing the sister and that it's it's like the French way, and and I don't think there's any incestuous stuff going on there. It's just him trying to be French. So they send Hildy up to the room, and you get that nice, sweet music, and as she goes into the room, Lara tries to say something, and he's like, fine, bang, and he just shuts the door on her, and the music just stops. Just yep. cuts out. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I like that. Yeah, that no, was good. Yeah. And so this is where Django and Hildy finally connect.
1: I love this. They do a lot of setup for trying to prepare Hildy to see someone that she is a friend who she wants to see. They open the door, they show Django standing there, stylish as fuck. He walks out, she just faints instantly, and Schultz says, you silver-tongued devil, you! (laughs) I love it, I thought it was so funny.
0: So now we head down to the dinner scene, and we can see straight away that there's eye glances with Hildy and Django, it's, with it's not re-
1: Stephen and Hildy. Stephen and Django. Yeah. There's a lot of subtle acting here tr- with Stephen trying to work out. Hang on, what's going on here? Something. Yeah, Candy something is oblivious. Different. He's yeah. too busy talking about the. Candy couldn't care less with Schultz. Yep. Yeah. He's but, got the dollar signs in his eyes.
0: Yep. And Steve. Yeah. Steve, you're right. Stephen is. He's all on. He's on top of this. Even Lara Lee notices that Hildy only has eyes for Django, and that's when she shoots up. And there's a little a sudden jolt there and, and Stephen picks up on that That they're all reacting nervously. It's a good little back and forth here from everyone. I, yeah. en- I enjoyed this. Oh, it's a yeah.
1: standout scene of the movie.
0: And even at, when they go at the back and Stephen starts confronting Hildy about knowing Django and she denies it and he's all up in her face and he is very scary at this point.
1: Yeah, he's very intimidating.
0: Yeah. So Schultz is... Continuing along with this plan, he agrees to buy Eskimo Joe for the $12,000.
1: I love, I love how they decide. They're trying to, She says, I wonder why they call him Eskimo Joe. And Leo says, his name was Joel. Maybe one day he
0: said he was cold." <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so Stephen is certain now that Hildy and Django know each other and that not everything is how it seems. So he gets Leo into a room together.
0: What is the matter? Them motherfuckers ain't here to buy no mandingos. They wants that girl. Now I gotta talk about this. Is this whole plan that they've come up with is it too complicated? Are they are they just going too far out of the out of the way here? Couldn't they have just go on there and say, look, we want to buy Hildy off ya? They uh, have
1: been working together for months now, collecting these bounties, and we know these bounties are very valuable. Yeah. They've been collecting thousands. Why don't they just go up to Candy and say, I'll give you $5,000 for this
0: girl? Exactly. And Quentin Tarantino actually acknowledged the viewers' questions in an interview. He said that Schultz likes to create complicated schemes to go about claiming his bounties. An example was killing the sheriff at the beginning of the film. All he really had to do was go to the marshal and tell him who the sheriff was beforehand. When it came to buying Hildy, Schultz explained that he didn't want to simply offer to buy her from Candy because Schultz wanted to make sure she was purchased legally with a bill of sale and also he didn't want to let Candy be in the position of power. Schultz wanted to pay 300 bucks to save her from Candy and if they went straight to him and said we want to purchase her for 300, he would have been like, well, she obviously means something special to you. You're going to have to gonna be charged more. And also this is where I feel like the biggest strong point about this is is that Schultz can't, let someone as detestable as Candy get the upper hand on him and and again this still helps coming up with what he does there's no way he's just so going to
1: think it's a pride
0: thing it is a pride thing he doesn't want to just reward this Candy guy with all this money he wants to he, he wants to get the upper hand he wants to trick him like before with the, with the sheriff he wants to get the upper hand on him he wants to make him look like a fool he doesn't want him to he doesn't want Candy to come out mm. winning in mm. this situation
1: yep. plus wouldn't have been as enjoyable a movie of course not <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, after Stephen and Candy have their, their conversation, Calvin comes back out, and you can see the, the, the shift in tone <clears throat> that he's giving them. Yeah. Yeah, and you can start to see... But,
1: yeah, they want, they want to continue the conversation about buying things, and he pulls out a skull.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you can start to see Schultz becoming increasingly nervous yep. as it's coming along. So, Candy starts talking about this, the bone structure of black people and the, the divots in their skulls and that, and... It's called Phrenology and it's it's very confusing for them. They don't understand what he's what he's getting at here. Oh, no, they don't. And
1: phrenology has by this stage already been debunked. It's very very old-fashioned. So you can see here that Leo's views are still old-fashioned, are still not moving with the times anyway.
0: Yeah, and uh, after a little bit you can see that they they're getting a bit nervous, so they they try to to leave and that's when Candy smashes his hand on the table. Now, DiCaprio actually smashed his hand on the table here and cut his palm which actually started to bleed pretty bad Mm. But he ignored it and he stayed in character and kept going and that's the scene that you see in the movie Tarantino was so impressed that he used it in the final print and when he called cut the whole room just erupted in applause over how good it was you can even see the lawyer when he goes behind him he doesn't know if it's if, if he should continue, but mm. DiCaprio, being the professional he is, stays in character and keeps going with it. So Schultz does end up buying Hildy for $12,000. Dean, you put ourselves on the spot last week with the adjusted price <laughs> for Die Hard, Yep. but I have actually done the research before. Oh, really? So how yeah.
1: much is $12,000 now? $12,000 in
0: 2013 equates to $318,000. Jesus. Yes. So that's a fair chunk of change.
1: That's but they were talking about buying fighters for that price.
0: Yeah. That's that's the price it was. Back but then. I guess
1: as well for someone as rich as Candy who has you know a massive estate, obviously it needs to be a decent figure to get his attention and not just his curiosity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they're finishing the deal here in this study room. Yes, yeah, over some white cake. White <laughs> <laughs> Everything... See, even even Candy, sure. he has to have white cake. Yeah. That's just how deplorable he is. Yeah. And you get this nice, soothing music while he's doing the due diligence. And you can see Schultz is... He's, he's hating it. He's hating it a lot. As they're finishing... Well, he's,
1: not, he's not used to being called out. He's not used to being... He's lost. He's not Yeah, he's not used to losing. And he's not used to losing to someone
0: like this. Yeah. They go to leave, but Calvin won't finish the deal until Schultz shakes his hand. This... Scene from both parties involved. I think was outstanding. If you don't know what, if you haven't seen it for the first time, you don't know what's going to happen.
1: Oh, yeah. it's it's unexpected. Yeah. Even though we we did have that set up earlier, and we know he he carries a gun up his sleeve, it's it's so unexpected. Where yeah, the ma- the main villain, the movie still got some runtime to go. Yeah. And bang, he kills him.
0: Yeah, and it's not even it's not even violent. It's that pop. Hmm. There's and, no and builder. Flower, and he's, in the middle of the flower it just starts yeah. to bleed. Yep, and
1: shooting. over he goes. What is, what is with this shooting through something on their jackets? Like one of the Brittle brothers, he shoots him through the piece of paper attached to his jacket. Is there any significance to that? What is what is Tarantino trying to go for here?
0: Maybe because the page is white and the flower is white and it yeah. made, and, it, and the blood just starts coming out from there like... Yeah, the contrast. candy Candy was wearing black and red. Yeah. Yeah. And so to get it popped in the flower and have the blood drip yep. down the white flower, maybe it's a, maybe it looks a bit better and it's easier to, to see what's happened. Well it's the
1: same with that shot we were talking about earlier where um Schultz kills one of the brittle brothers and you see the red blood on that white cotton. Yeah. that's what makes it stand out so much, the fact that it is on the white.
0: So Schultz obviously shoots Calvin. Calvin goes down and Stephen starts bawling his eyes out. He's lost his... His friend, his his, carer. Yeah. He's he's come to love candy. There's no doubt about it. And this is where it all starts to go a little bit slow-mo and you get that great line from Schultz. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Now, that line, do you think that that is Tarantino talking to us? Because at this point, (laughs) at this point is when everything... Just goes off. off goes that. into hyperdrive as soon as Schultz is dead. Just over the top, hardcore violence. What we're used to from Tarantino. Yep. And throughout this whole film, it's been quite tame. It's a, it's a yeah, it it's has. A, and the fact that just before this, Schultz goes, "Sorry, I couldn't resist." <laughs> and then you get fifteen minute fifteen to twenty minutes of just ultra violence. That's yep. Tarantino saying, "Yep, like I got to have it. I got to have <laughs> it in here." You thought you guys were getting away without this? Yeah. And I think that's the same at the end of Inglorious Bastards. With the, this may just well be my masterpiece. That yeah, kind of yeah, feels like Tarantino yeah. talking to the audience as well. Yeah, he's wrong, but yeah. I see what mean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've already explained uh, why we think Schultz shoots him. Just, he, he can't see this, this man live. He can't see him go on. Mm. He's gotten the best of him. He's, he's just uh, an awful piece of shit human being. Yep. And he's willing to sacrifice his own life so that he can't live as well. He knows he's going to die as soon as he shoots him. He, he's not going to get out of there. He doesn't even try. He knows he's just gonna—he gets blown away by a shotgun immediately. He knows yeah, what he's doing. He is knows killing what he's killing him. Doing. Yeah.
1: Shouldn't have done it though. Of
0: course not, because he's also endangering Django yeah. and Hildy. So, yeah. But luckily, it's,
1: it's more than likely that what he what he's done will cause their deaths as well.
0: Yeah. So that's the end of Schultz' best character, in my opinion. Not the best character to people who don't understand the movie, but uh, let's just move on. <laughs> so this, yeah, and this is where we get into the ultra-violent part of the movie. Django just starts mowing down... White people? Yeah. He starts Save mowing us. down white people in the most over-the-top, yeah. bloody yeah. scene Very in the movie. Graphic. Yeah, just, Very stylized. Yeah. And obviously he's not going to be able to get out of it, so they do... They do get the better of him, and we... Oh, we haven't even talked about Walton Goggins in this movie. Walton
1: Goggins. Ace. Yeah. Um, okay, Walton Goggins. I know Walton Goggins from The Shield. Me too. He was fantastic in that. I also he know don't...
0: him from Sons of Anarchy as well. Is he in that? Yeah, he plays the uh, the transvestite hooker. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Jesus,
1: I forget that. Um, yeah, so this is his first uh, movie with Tarantino, and it's a pretty small role. He'll obviously come back Tarantino must have liked him because he'll obviously come back in the Hateful
0: Eight yep. with a much larger role. Yeah, exactly. But no, he's he's pretty good here as a um just well, a serviceable. Yeah, there's a little little side note here. So obviously Django gets taken and he wakes up naked upside down and he's ready to get his his giblets removed. Hmm. Yeah, but Stephen of all people stops him. And basically tells him that he's gonna that be sent off. Death to, is too good for him. Yeah, so he's gonna sell him off to the Dickie brothers. Now, this scene—it's uh, so what? Un- it's this, this What's whole that? this whole Dickie brothers scene, and the fact that he comes back straight away. This whole thing is unnecessary to me. They could have they they could have had it where after Schultz gets killed and Django gets into a shootout, they could have merged it into the final scene in some way where Django kills everyone, he's, he, he takes them all down, and he rides off into the sunset with Hildy. You don't need this extra 20 minutes of movie where he yeah. gets sold to these Dickie Brothers. He gets out of it in the most simplest and stupidest way. Uh,
1: it wasn't simple and stupid. He, I, I didn't mind this Dicky Brothers scene. When I was watching it, I didn't think it was stupid. I thought it was really good to see the difference of... You can see Django now taking on Schultz's role. The way he talks out of his, you know, almost impossible situation with oh, the Dicky brothers,
0: three dumbasses. are just I don't understand why you need to have these three characters in here for a couple of minutes to have him go out and then immediately come back. It's just it's just a setup so that he can easily get it out of being a slave or be being captured. It's it seems just tacked on at the end. He's captured and then he's re, he's out of it in a matter of minutes.
1: Or did you want him to be captured for longer? Let's stretch the runtime even further. We could
0: cut the runtime by having him not be captured in the first place.
1: If we had it your way, I think this movie would go for about 60 minutes.
0: You have, you have agreed to me at multiple points that half these things need to be cut.
1: I No, 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 not half the things. I agree that in the middle chunk of the film there is a fair bit of filler, but I don't think this end bit is problematic at all.
0: I feel like it's not the worst part of the movie. It just it feels like it's unnecessary and it can be removed from this movie and nothing would change so we do get you know the usual ca- cameo by Aussie Quentin Tarantino this time in a really rough I accent I was
1: really thrown off by the accent I was coming
0: from two Aussies who can hear those things that is I was, very wrong
1: I was trying to like I didn't even notice straight away that it was Aussie I sort of thought gee are they trying to do an Aussie accent surely not and I was like wow they actually are meant well, to be Australian here yeah.
0: well to be fair You've got Tarantino, who's doing the Aussie accent. You've got Michael Parks, who is the regular Tarantino, being in most of his, if not yeah. all of his films. He's he's, But he's got his regular American accent. And then you've got an Aussie classic actor, John Jarrett, in here, who is an Aussie and has that Aussie twang. Now, if anyone out there doesn't know who John Jarrett is... Like me. You don't know who John Jarrett is?
1: Not by name. And I didn't recognise him in the
0: movie. Really? Who is he? John Jarrett is an Australian actor who's been in a lot of local things. He I remember seeing him on Better Homes and Gardens with his wife Noni Hazelhurst, but the biggest How role I remember that. The biggest role he ever did was Mick Taylor in Wolf Creek. He no, is no Wolf way. Creek. Yes. He's
1: he's Mick Taylor. Yes. Wow. That who
0: that is who John Jarrett is and Tarantino loved that movie so much that he desperately wanted to get John Jarrett into one of his movies and he, he shoehorned him in, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, into this pitiful little scene that didn't really need to be in the movie in the first place. Mm,
1: not good enough to make the hateful eight. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's no Walton Goggins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Django runs rings around these guys. He talks about the Smitty Bacall bounty that they've got in the back of the yep. back of Candyland. That's how he gets them to take off the chains, Give him a gun. Like what a fucking like they're, they're so Well, I mean, stupid. if they're gonna
1: if they're gonna unchain him, they. They've got to give him a gun.
0: And he immediately just, he doesn't even take the gun out of the holster. bang bang, kills him. And then yep. of yep. Tarantino has to die in the most epic way possible. He gets blown up by the dynamite <laughs> that he's got on him. Yep. We now see Django back on a horse riding with the gun in the air.
1: Did you notice that Django removed the saddle before getting on the horse tonight? I did see time? that, yeah.
0: What did you think of that? To me, it's him showing his freedom. Yeah. Yeah, he's but freeing I, the horse as I well. Think, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I think it's very symbolic of his own shackles being removed. Yeah.
0: And just before we get to Candyland, we do see Django stop in at the Tracker Shack, kill them all, yelling, As he bursts through the door, shoots them all down, he shoots the guy in the dick, you see that? Classic Tarantino. That That was a bit of a weird editing there, because he was in the bath, he's shooting everyone, and then it cuts, and he's just standing there, and then bang, shoots him in the dick. Like, did the guy get out of the bath before he shot him? It I was, so. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was just... Oh, uh,
1: It's Tarantino. It's intentional.
0: Yeah. So Django does end up rescuing Hildy here, comes in and gets her. He heads back to the barn where he sees Schultz's body. He grabs the papers out of his jacket, which shows that Hildy is a free woman, and gives him a pat on the head and says, Shve. How valuable do you think those papers really are, though? in those times if they're going around in those
1: times they're going through an all white town where every black man is a slave and they're getting looks and people are pulling guns on them they go no 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 it's all right, everyone I've got this bit of paper
0: we're free people I'm I'm just
1: not convinced how much respect
0: those bits of paper are going to get it's better than not having the paper at all
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) so this is where we get the final scene of the film where Stephen and fuck I've already forgotten her name She's she's that forgettable Lara Lee that's it and a couple of the others are heading back from, I guess, the funeral for Yeah, it Candy. was the funeral. Yeah, and they're all doing their, their singing. They come in, they're all down. Yep. And up top is... Thunder! And he's looking super fly in his nice red get-up now. Back like when he had his blue outfit on. He's yep. now yep, got yep, this yep. nice-looking thing on. Basically, he takes down all the men real quick. And we get that, again, cartoony, violence kind of thing where he tells the slaves... Uh, Cora, before you go, will you tell Miss Laura goodbye? D- do what now? I said tell Miss Laura goodbye. Bye, Miss Laura. It almost looks like there was a rope behind her and just yanked her away as quick as they could. She goes flying, and he's not even at the right angle to shoot no, her that way. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. It's like she's been shot with a shotgun directly in front, yeah. but he shoots her with a pistol at about a 45 degree yeah, angle. Again, that, camp, that, <laughs>
0: that campy violence, I, I did enjoy that. It was funny. So he tells the slaves to, to run out. He keeps Stephen there, shoots him in the kneecaps. Did you
1: notice before he does kneecap Stephen, Stephen stands up straight, lets oh, go of yes. the cane, and shows that he is actually faking how weak yes. he is. He stands up properly. He gains sort of some dignity, puts his head up, and talks normally, not talking frail, and he can walk without the use of a cane. So you can actually see that this whole time, Stephen's acting much weaker than he actually is. Yeah. I guess to make himself less of a threat, maybe so he can't work, maybe so he couldn't have been a Mandingo fighter. Like I don't know how long Steven I don't know how long Steven's been with Candy, but I think it shows a level of um intelligence to Stephen that we didn't expect.
0: Well we've already seen the level of intelligence from him, the fact that he picked up on all the, the cues of Hildy and Django along the way. It
1: was so small though, like I don't think I noticed that before in the last three I don't times think I did I either. It.
0: Yeah, so they have their their little talk, Django fires up the dynamite, walks out and you get Obviously, Samuel Jackson. You motherfucker! Yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch, Django! <laughs> Blows up the house in a in a very comedic way again. Django yeah. standing basically right in front of it. Yeah,
1: I think one step closer to the house, and Django would have copped the blast as well.
0: Yeah, but he's all good. He puts his Sonnies on with a big grin, gets on the horse, and rides off this, into the sunset. No, he does this stupid little spin around first. And, oh, and, that's and right. And this dance, the music, and Hildy's giving him a <sighs> clap. Very yeah. weird
1: there, uh, okay probably could have cut that yeah
0: and that's it they ride off into the sunset well no they ride off into the moonlight and that is django unchained
1: any last words
0: so dean what's your final thoughts on django unchained
1: all right so my thoughts django unchained is a stylistic western oozing with the class of one of the best filmmakers of the last two decades tarantino is truly the star of this film as he injects his token entertainment and sharp wit into a story revolving around brutal racism in the South. The cinematography is phenomenal here, expertly catching the beauty of the South. Even though Waltz won the Oscar here, it really is Leo and Sam Jackson who steal the show. Leo gives it his all and masterfully walks the line between dramatic and melodramatic performance. Jamie Foxx also is very good as a titular character, bringing life to his story arc of Revenge and Love. The only flaw, as I've said, I have with the movie is that it does feel a tad long and there are a few scenes, especially in the middle of the film, that felt a bit unnecessary and did slow the pacing down. However, it is a great movie and one I will watch again. Endo, what are your thoughts on this film?
0: Yeah, so I came into my rewatch of Django this time with the notion that I'm going to love it yet again Uh, and I did for the first third. Yep. I thought the whole story of Django and Schultz, the Brittle Brothers and all that was fantastic uh, but when it moved into the story of Candy and a bit more about the Django and Hildy relationship, didn't grasp me as much as I thought it did originally. Uh, don't get me wrong. I've already stated it here. Christoph Waltz is phenomenal. Samuel L. Jackson and DiCaprio are fantastic as well. Jamie Foxx is okay, but I can see why he would get overshadowed by the other three. But for the role, for the, for the main role, he could have been a bit better but he's not awful but there's nothing special there either he's not awful that's a glowing endorsement compared to the other three me saying he's not awful is good <laughs> the soundtrack is obviously amazing like the next day after i rewatched it i was at work listening to the music on my phone wow uh, loving it i think the thing i found the most noticeable about this this rewatch was the length Two hours and 45 minutes for this is way too long. There's several unnecessary scenes that just felt like it was starting to overstay its welcome at points. Still, it's it's Tarantino, and it has all the trademarks you can find scattered throughout his filmography, and the pros still outweigh the cons by an extensive margin. It's still a great film. It's just dropped a little bit in my eyes since the last time. Now it's time for... I was the best because the crowd loved me. ...where we rank every movie we review. Dean... Does Django supersede Die Hard as number one? No.
1: Die Hard, still number one. Django, strong film in number two.
0: Same for me. Die Hard outshines Django. In yeah. basically Die Hard's every a classic.
1: Sense. Django is not.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yep. Yeah. There's no comparison here. Die Hard, much, much better than Django. Yep, no doubt. So now let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Uh... where you the listeners send in your reviews we've got one this week from Elise who said one of my favorite movies we have another one from Sam that said great film we've also got a review once again from Matthew Noble who says Django Unchained was actually the first Tarantino film I ever saw and it was the perfect introduction to his world this movie mixes bloody action with unbearable tension perfectly especially during the sequence at Candyland all with an amazing cast and one of the best Quentin Tarantino soundtracks. It's easily one of my favourite Westerns. Big shout-out to some of the big players as well. People like Don Johnson, Franco Nero, Walton Goggins and Bruce Dern make appearances and are all awesome when they turn up.
1: Now we've got a review from my brother Shane. I haven't read this, so we'll see what it says. This was a huge surprise for me when it came out. Tarantino had just come off two disappointments with Death Proof and Inglorious Bastards. (laughs) Wow. Uh, not oh, only were not only were they nowhere near as good as his earlier films, you could barely even call them good films. Really tearing inglorious bastards to shreds here. <laughs> Death Proof got a pass in being it wasn't a real Tarantino film being cut together with Planet Terror as a grindhouse double bill. But with *Inglorious Bastards, I just couldn't connect with that film at all. It didn't have a Vincent Vega, or a Beatrix Kiddo, or a Clarence Worley.
0: I'm sorry, is this a Django Unchained review, or an Inglorious Bastards bashing? I'm not sure, has he
1: seen it, Django Unchained? <laughs> Shit, I would have taken Jackie Brown. No hero in Death Proof or *Inglorious Bastards. None I had sympathy for, or could relate to. Yeah, I think he's a bit confused on what movie we're reviewing.
0: Shane, Inglorious Bastards podcast will be later on in the future.
1: <laughs> okay, here we go. Django Unchained rectified that situation. The character of Django Freeman stands out as one of the very best characters from the entire Tarantino universe. And he has excellent company as well with Dr. Schultz and Calvin Candy. I actually think Christoph Waltz as Schultz was the best performance oh! in the film. What is this? Did you set this up?
0: I take everything I said. <laughs> I take everything back I said, Shane.
1: Uh, Django Unchained represents Django Freeman's story, Django Freeman's journey from a slave with nothing to a man so free he has enjoyed vengeance against those who oppressed him and his beloved. Tarantino doesn't get fancy with time jumps or character jumps. He takes on a relevant mainstream topic such as slavery in America's Old South and he floods it with snappy intelligent dialogue and well thought out characters and plot. Django Unchained is well thought out By comparison, the follow-up Hateful Eight felt a tad superficial and rushed, as though the characters and situations in Hateful Eight wouldn't stand up to scrutiny. But there's nothing like that in Django Unchained. The film plays it straight. It's conventional, interesting, dramatic, and genuinely riveting. The action shootouts and cinematography are at such an elite level, they would be enough to elevate even a poorly acted or written film. But of course, Django Unchained is neither. This is Tarantino at his very best, at least since Kill Bill. And with its creation, he proved he is still the master of filmmaking that the Massives believe him to be. One of my all-time favourite films. Wow, thank you for that review, Shane. Very well said.
0: Thanks for that, Shane. Keep sending them in. I love to see Dean's faces and expressions (laughs) on uh, your many reviews to come.
1: So, what's next?
0: So we've got the random number generator up to find out what movie we'll be watching next week. Dean, why don't you hit that button and find out what it'll be.
1: All right, here we go. 1 to 250 generated at 49. 49. What movie is number 49 on the IMDb 49
0: list? is The Prestige. Hey! All right. Tarantino to Nolan, here we go. That concludes our review of Django Unchained today. If you'd like to stick around, we'll be having a quick discussion afterwards about what else we've been watching this week if not please email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at imdbjourney and you can also search for us on Letterbox at imdbjourney as well so if you don't want to stick around that's perfectly fine and we'll see you next week for the prestige what's your name django the dear son
1: okay so hendo what have you been watching this week?
0: So I got the chance to watch the Kingsman, the Golden Circle, the sequel.
1: You got the chance. I did get the, the chance. Privilege.
0: Yeah, well, I only got to watch one movie the last time, but I did get the chance to watch this this time. Now, look, I I love the original. I thought it was good fun j- yep. and just enough outrageous things going on there to make it enjoyable to watch. Yep. The Golden Circle, it does ramp up on the outrageous and dials down on the believability. And unfortunately, that's to its detriment as I found myself being taken out of the movie way too many times here and began laughing at the movie and not with it. It just didn't grab me like the original did, as is customary for most sequels. Julianne Moore, she's she's a great actress. She's criminally underused in this role as this maniacal villain who's hiding away in this weirdly 50s-themed town that's buried in the middle of this jungle. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, what? The, yeah, yeah. Don't I don't want to start. Off. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it sounds it, it sounds as ridiculous as it sounds was. Sounds
1: like I'm never going to watch that movie.
0: The the action was way too CG, and there's these random crazy camera movements that were going back and forth. It was just start, it was really starting to give me a headache. And this isn't the first this is in the first five minutes there's this fight scene in, that takes place in a taxi, and it's it's just so in your face, and up and down, and left and right, and I'm just, at times I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here, and it's so ridiculous, like he, exiting in this one, he's supposed to be this Superman type thing, like he's, mm. he's pushing himself off taxi doors, and flying in the air, and landing back on the roof, and then I'm like, this is, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this already, and complete with this celebrity cameo that was really funny at first when it happened. But then it kept going on, and and it was and it was being used and used over and over. I must admit, though, it got to the point where it used so much that it became funny again. Towards the end, it went from funny to really overused to yeah, it got back to being funny at the end. So I can't necessarily hold that against the movie. But overall, the movie is very it's 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 not a recommend for me. Fair enough.
1: What else have you been watching?
0: I also got a chance to see two films. Basically, centered around the afterlife. I saw Personal Shopper starring Kristen Stewart, who plays a personal shopper who lives.
1: Centered around the afterlife? Yeah. I haven't she... seen it, so no spoilers, please.
0: She plays a personal shopper in Paris who refuses to leave the city until she makes contact with her twin brother who just died there. Uh, her life becomes a bit more complicated when she starts receiving these mysterious text messages from this random person. This movie is very bizarre it obviously tackles subjects of loss and grief, while also playing as a bit of a mystery as to who this person is on the other side of the phone. The director, um, I think his name was Olivia Assayas, sorry if I got that wrong, he does a fine job. There's a good technique he uses where he fades out on scenes and it becomes noticeable after a while. And, it, and that style really pays off towards the end of the film. Uh, but the biggest standout here was Kristen Stewart. This is... Easily her best performance to date. She puts on a powerhouse performance. It is really, really good from her. So, overall, without getting too far into any spoiler territory there, I'll just leave it at that. I'll just say it's a, it's a good movie and I'd say check it out. All right. I also got a chance to see A Ghost Story. Which one? <laughs> the movie A Ghost Story. <laughs> uh-huh. uh About, uh, stars Casey Affleck as a man who, this is not spoilery, he, he dies pretty much at the start of the movie. Yep. And he comes back as a a ghost who has a white sheet over him and two eyes. Oh, is it a comedy? No, it is nowhere near a comedy. It is there's no comedy in it at all. Just wipe that from your mind, okay? Uh, He's a ghost who returns to his home uh, to look over his wife. Is it a horror? No. Okay. Can I talk?
1: (laughs) Go for it. I'm just trying to work out what sort of movie. Well, maybe if I
0: got a chance to speak, you'd hear about (laughs) what type of film it is. Okay. So here he's looking over his wife, who's played by Rooney Mara. And that's the basics of it, really. As the film ups the ante on the emotions, it dives deep into basically the five steps of grief. Rooney Mara does an excellent job in this one. Watching her emotional journey is a very believable one. Mm-hmm. David Lowry, the director, does a lot of lingering in this film in which certain scenes will just sit there for what seems like an eternity. I'm not, not kidding, for an eternity. He just lets what is happening or just happens sink in even deeper. There's literally a five-minute scene of Rooney Mara sitting on the ground in the kitchen eating an entire pie while Ghost Affleck stands there and watches her. And you just see her become even more emotional as it goes along. Like, it starts off with no tears and then the tears start coming and the tears become more, or she's just sitting there eating this pie. And this may be a problem for a lot of people who don't have the patience or the interest for something like this. Me, personally, it did start to bug me a bit as it went along, but... I do understand and appreciate the intention of Lowry's vision, so I was okay with it. But as the title suggests, this is a ghost story, and it's crazy how much emotion you can get from a ghost with a sheet. With Just a sheet. That's all it is. You see time just skip by for the ghost as he walks from one room to another, and it's like a week later. Just instantaneous. There's a scene where he's standing there watching, and Rooney Mara, she leaves for the day. She, she walks out of the bathroom out the door and then it immediately just happens again She's in different clothing you can see the day is just skipping by for this ghost he also communicates with this ghost next door and those scenes were true standouts they were fantastic there's also a monologue towards the end of the film about Beethoven that's also a big standout If you, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen it already so yeah I'd say this is another good movie and if you can get past those extra long scenes of silence and stillness you should enjoy it
1: fair enough I might check that one out I have heard good things about it
0: so Dean you got a chance to see Dunkirk this week. I did too.
1: Ah, oh, what are the odds?
0: So, for anyone who doesn't know what Dunkirk is about, it's, a, it's the attempted evacuation of Allied soldiers from Belgium, Britain, Canada and France who were cut off and surrounded by the German army from the beaches and harbour of Dunkirk, France between May 26th and June 4th in 1940 during the Battle of France in World War II. Uh, Dean, I'll give you a chance to speak. <laughs> what did you think of Dunkirk?
1: Okay, with Dunkirk... I really loved the look of this film. I don't think I've ever seen such a realistic vision of what it must have been like to be in battle, save for maybe Private Ryan. Yeah, I agree there. In particular, the aerial shots of the many plane fights are incredible. Everything just felt so real. The way they had the camera on the wing and you could really sort of get the point of view of Tom Hardy's character in in all these fights. I really... I don't think I had ever seen anything like that and I thought it was done really well. I thought the sound technician on those fight scenes were fantastic as well. Did you like those scenes?
0: I liked every scene. Usually through a movie, I try and find a point where I can get up and stretch my legs or go get a drink or something like that. I couldn't find that point in this movie. I watched this thing from beginning to end and did not move. I was sitting there going, uh, oh, I'll try I might I might get up now. Nah, I gotta keep watching this. I gotta yep. keep watching this. I didn't I didn't move for an hour, 45 minutes. And that's how great this movie was. For me to have my entire attention to it and not want it I don't want to get up. Yeah. It's a, it is a an amazing film.
1: Did you have any flaws with it?
0: If I was to pinpoint a flaw, I would say that there was no violence. It's a war film, yeah, but there's no, no violence. Like you see Saving Prophet Ryan. Yeah. That's that's very war violence. This film has It's
1: funny, I'd, like now that I think of it, you're right. I can't think of any of like really violent scenes. There is but no But I never I never I never thought of that while watching it. I wasn't thinking, gee, they're trying not to make this movie very violent. I just thought I like, think a lot of the violence to... was um, explosions that you saw from a long way off
0: i think they were trying to make this film not violent yeah
1: i don't think it hurt the film at all
0: you asked me to pick out a flaw. that's the that, that's the flaw. if i had to think about it it didn't didn't bother me i'm just saying if i had to find a flaw, that would be the flaw i would find okay
1: well for me the flaw i have with this movie is that i didn't connect with any of the characters
0: no that's what that's what war is about there's that's that's why I love this film. In most other war movies, yeah, you've got your Private Ryan and you've got your Tom Hanks' name. <laughs> <laughs> this this film is exactly how war probably is. Everyone is equal. There yeah, they have got your Tom Hardys and your Kenneth Branaghs and all that in there. None of them have names. You don't no. know. They're all the same. They're all these people trying to get off this beach. No one is better than the other. You don't have you don't have a main hero.
1: You, no, you don't. But you're saying it like a positive. I, it is. I thought it was a negative. No. I struggled to connect with any of these people. No. And without that emotional character connection, I felt like a lot of the impact from the deaths in this movie and the battles was was not there.
0: No, I disagree. I feel like if you had someone who was centralized as the main person, you would be you would have your focus towards them and the other people in this movie would sort of drift back. Having everyone on the same... But
1: instead, everyone's drifted back.
0: No, everyone's the same level. Everyone is... Yeah, in everyone is... that step back. No, there is there's no step back. One,
1: there's no one standing around, standing at the front that it focuses on. Every... I felt the movie
0: suffered for it. No, nah, I disagree completely. I feel like because everyone was equal, everyone had the same problems, like, they obviously had the same problems going on, they're trying to get off this beach, everyone was in the same predicament. It felt like, like I felt I was able to see this as a realistic war film.
1: No spoilers, but I did love how this movie was set up, and how it did play with time. Yes, without without getting into it too much, the way if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. The way it played with time in this movie, I don't think I've seen before, and I thought it was really interesting. And that really did keep my attention,
0: trying to work out what was happening when. Yeah, I thought it was very clever. No, I agree with that. I did, I did notice that after like like a little while, I'm like, okay, I can see. What they're trying to do here, and then started rolling with it. And I agree with you completely. That the way they set up time in this movie was spot on. Also, feel like the actual time of the movie was pretty good too. Most war movies they go for two hours plus. Now this is in at a very comfortable hour and forty five minutes. Even for Christopher Nolan films, yeah, this is this has to be shortest one. I is, oh, following following, following, following yeah. okay. Is I haven't seen following longer, yet. Well, I have. Yeah, I made you. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I feel like this really is an amazing film it's not his it's not his best film that by a long shot
1: is it one of his worst
0: well (laughs) hang on what has he done like nine films
1: yeah something like that
0: okay well is this one of christopher
1: nolan's worst
0: films well i haven't seen the following so we can't i don't know about that there's nine movies for you nine movies for me i would say We're going to be talking about this again in the future, and we're going to be talking about a lot of movies. Yeah, we're going to be talking about eight. We're going to be talking about eight of Christopher Nolan films here. I'm going to say, for me right now, that I would put this at number six in my rankings. So So at the the bottom bottom section of Nolan movies, but it's still a great film. Don't get me wrong;
1: it is a great film, and I did really enjoy watching it. I just did feel that there was a lack of connection with characters, but. Having said that, I did really, really enjoy this film.
0: Where do you rank it out of your 10 Nolan films? Uh, It's definitely better than Following, and it's definitely
1: better with Interstellar. It's probably on par with Insomnia, maybe slightly ahead ahead of Insomnia, and the rest are better than it. So out of 10, what does that put at 7th? 8th? 7th. Puts it at 7th. Good math. Well, it's late.
0: But we'll get into detail about Dunkirk down the road whenever we do Uh, so anyone who is still hanging around thanks for listening to what we've been watching if you have any more comments about our reviews for these films
1: please send them in let us know we love
0: receiving feedback any any questions at all about movies in general we're more than happy to answer again twitter account is at imdbjourney Letterboxes at everything is IMDB Journey. Letterbox, Twitter, email imdbjourney at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.